0: So the last couple of weeks, we've just been talking about some of the things that we will be doing over the next couple of years. We have talked about why we're doing what we're doing, what we're actually doing, that in this room, we're going to add club seats on the sides to bring up accessibility in here for everybody. We're going to create an amazing lawn to get from this building to that building that is going to have uh, events that will happen on the fields and uh, baptism area and a playground for the kids. We're also going to turn that joy center into an amazing student center and open up a preschool and a hybrid high school. So there's a lot that's going to be going on over the next two years. And we as a church are making a commitment to give $5 million so that we can see all of that done to the glory of God. Now we've talked about all of that, but what I would like to talk about today is actually the blessing of God that comes upon the giver. Here is the question. If I participate in what God is asking me to do, is there a blessing on the other side of my participation? That's the question. The short answer is yes. The long answer is yes. So let's go and look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. That has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly In all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich." So here we see this conversation begin with what Paul talks about, an act of grace that was seen among the churches of Macedonia. What was this act of grace that was seen among these churches? He said it was a wealth of generosity. In other words, from this particular group of churches, from this church, they said, we want to be a part of all the things that we can do according to our means, but we also want to go beyond our means and do what it seems like it is actually impossible to do. And then according to the grace that God had upon them, there was a reward promised on the backside. See, this is the church that was in Philippi. This is the Philippians. They're here, and he is talking to the Corinthians, bragging About the Philippians. So we'll talk about the Philippians at the end, but I just want to sit in here for a minute, actually a really long minute, and talk about what he is leaning into here with the church at Corinth. I want to just sort of do a glossary if we can, because there's two phrases that he uses there that we need to understand what he means when we're putting it in the context of giving that he has it in. One is, they gave according to their means. When we are talking about someone giving according to their means, what we are saying is you have received something and then a measure of that gift is then given to God. You have received and now you are going to give. When you give according to your means, the Bible uses the word tithe. The gospel has this word tithe that means tenth. It is a tenth of what you have received. So when you give according to your means, it means that you have received 100% and from that 100% you are choosing to give 10% of that. That is not a specific number that is compared to someone else in the sense that maybe they gave less than you or you gave more. It's about the percentage. It is about the sacrifice. It is not an equal gift from family to family to family. It is equal sacrifice from family to family to family. Because everybody was asked to give according to their means, and the means that they were told to give was a tenth. So when the gospel uses this phrase, according to their means, We are talking about their tithe. Now, when we talk about tithing, this is where sometimes we can all get a little bit salty. We get frustrated in the conversation and we can begin to look for all the reasons why we shouldn't have to, we don't have to, we don't want to. Um, Let me just sort of take the pressure off. You don't have to do anything. You You don't have to. And we're actually gonna walk through that in a minute. But first of all, I just wanna explain where we even came to this concept of 10% from the word. So if we go all the way back to Genesis, we see a man who walked by faith. His name was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham. He's considered the father of our faith. So we're going to look at this gentleman who was called Abraham. And for the first time, we see this word tithe come up in his lifestyle. In Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20, it said, Abram, Gave to Melchizedek, the priest of God Most High, a tenth of everything. So he had a moment where he had this massive windfall, harvest, you might say, and from all of that income, he gave a tenth to the priest of God Most High. This was not a command. No one told Abraham to do this. There was not a law that he gave according to. He simply had a relationship with God. And because of his relationship with God, when he received something, it said he gave a tenth of that which he received to Melchizedek, the priest of God most high. He did this by faith. He did this all by himself. Abraham. Now let's go into his grandson. So we go through Isaac. Now we get to Jacob. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 20, it said that Jacob made a vow to God. And he said, God, whatever you give to me, I will give a full tenth to you. So he's saying, I saw my grandfather live in this way. I saw him live by faith and demonstrate his faith in this way. And God, I'm making the same vow to you. If you will bless me with all that you bless me with, I will give you a full tenth back. Abraham demonstrated this. Jacob demonstrated this. This is all before the law. This is among the patriarchs who were told in Hebrews, they were the ones who lived by faith. Abraham lived by faith. Noah before him lived by faith. Abel before him lived by faith. Isaac, Jacob lived by faith. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, lived by faith. These people lived by faith as a demonstration of what a relationship with God looks like. Now we step into this moment where Moses has revelation from God and he actually takes many of the behaviors that were done by faith by people who had a relationship with God and they become standardized so that an entire nation can have a relationship with God just like certain individuals did. So the law was given to Moses to give to the people so that an entire people group could have the means, they could have the handles to have a relationship with God because they didn't know how to have one. These men who lived by faith, by faith had a relationship with God. Now, all of these, the law would become standard procedure for them to have a relationship with God. And what was made one of the things that was made normal or what was normalized under the law was this lifestyle of generosity that we see with the patriarchs. So tithing that was before the law was then contained within the law. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 says that every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to him. So now under the law, God is saying that a tenth or 10% of what you receive, it's actually holy to him. It's his. And so they would give a tenth of what they received. They would give it to him in relationship with God. And it brought an entire nation under the relationship and under a blessing from God most high, just as the patriarchs had relationship and had a blessing. Now we'll wander from this moment a 1,000 years forward. Now we're in the moment of the prophets. And the last prophet contained in the Old Testament, we get to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 gives us the scripture that if you've been in church like four days, you've probably heard this one. It says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. "'Thereby put me to the test,' says the Lord of hosts, "'if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven "'and pour down for you a blessing "'until there is no more need.'" So by the prophet, God is awakening a generation that had gotten sleepy in their generosity. They had become very accustomed to just receiving their blessing, consuming their blessing, or saving their blessing, and they had stopped giving. They had stopped sharing. Generosity was drying up among a generation. And so by the prophet, he said, this is something we have to bring back into our lifestyles. We're forgetting this, and this has to return. Why did he ask them to give what was God's? because there was a blessing for them that in the absence of their gift, the blessing would not be given. The windows would not be open. The blessing would not be poured out. And what that meant was, instead of the blessing being poured out until there was no more need, there would be need. And the need that was had would go unmet among the nation because the nation was not living in the blessing of God. So the tithe from the patriarchs to the law, to the prophets was a financial vehicle that would bring fullness into the life or the household of the giver. Now we'll go 400 years beyond the last words of the prophet. And now what did Jesus say about the tithe? In uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, Jesus said, you tithe mint and dill and cumin but you have left the weightier matters of the law undone, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you should have done while not neglecting these. So what Jesus was saying is you are very intentional to give to the penny of what you receive. And he said, like, that's a good thing You ought to do that, but you can't leave this stuff undone. There are matters of the law, matters of our relationship that are significant, and then there are weightier matters of our lifestyle that are actually more significant, but because something is more significant, doesn't say that this over here isn't significant as well. What had happened was they understood that there was a blessing for them that was attached to the giving. And so they weren't going to not give because they wanted the blessing. But there was a lifestyle that they seemed to be justice and mercy and faithfulness with other people that there didn't seem to be a return on. And so they were picking and choosing which laws they were going to live by because it was more important to them to have a financial blessing than it was to have a relationship with other people. Sometimes we can get selfish like this in many different ways. Sometimes all we want is social clout. All we want are friends. All we want are relationships. And we give all of our time and we give all of our interest to these spaces. And we don't really care about this over here and so we neglect it. And what Jesus is saying is it's actually all important. Whether we give to God or whether we give to others, both, we should do both. These were the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus then gives his life for the church. He's resurrected. He ascends on high. Now he puts the church under the leadership of the apostles. So now we have apostolic leadership guiding the early church. What did these writers say about the tithe that had begun back in Genesis with the patriarchs? We jump up to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 7, and the writer says this it is beyond dispute. Now, I don't know how you are, but these days I don't know how much is beyond dispute. Like, there's a seems to be a lot. (laughs) There seems to be a lot that we can dispute. But the writer says this is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Now, how do we get the blessing from the superior to the inferior? How does that blessing come? He says, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, they are received by the one of whom it is testified that he lives. Now, that is a huge distinction. Because what the writer is saying here is, in the one case under the law, tithes were received by mortal men. But in the new case, tithes are not just received by mortal men, but they are received by the one of whom it is testified that he lives. Quick little Bible question. Of whom is it testified that he lives? Jesus. So we have Jesus who has been resurrected and is alive at the right hand of the Father. Who is the one who is receiving what? The tithe. Why? So that it would be proven beyond dispute that the lesser, us, would be blessed by the greater Him. What is the vehicle of blessing in the New Testament according to the apostolic writer of Hebrews? It is the tithe that is given to Him who ever lives, and from Him who ever lives who is superior, we who are inferior are blessed. Abraham was blessed By the tithe in the patriarchal period before the law. The nation of Israel was blessed because of the tithe under the law. The prophets under the law spoke to that same blessing. Jesus spoke to the same blessing. The apostolic writers spoke to the same blessing. There is no getting away from the opportunity to bring your tithe into the storehouse and then the attached promise or blessing of the windows of heaven being opened up and God God Almighty, Jesus of whom it is testified that He lives, literally pours out a blessing until there's no more need. The blessing is attached to the gift. The gift is according to our means, which means it is a percentage of that which we receive, which is what we call a tithe from Genesis to the end of the book. So there's no getting away from it. I'm not sure that we want to get away from it. I just want to make sure you know what it is. Because I don't talk about this a whole bunch, so I guess my first shot out of the gate, I want to make sure I cover everything. The tithe matters. It is the vehicle of blessing for the patriarchs under the law, by the prophets, by the word of the apostles to the church. We see the tithe throughout. Now, they though, didn't just give the tithe. They didn't just give according to their means. It said they gave beyond their means. So now they went above something. There were people who went above the tithe for the purpose of giving to something that they didn't have to do. But, but yet they chose to do it. And we see, this, we see this throughout the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. But just to cover a couple maybe in the New Testament, even in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 5, we see mentioned a centurion. And he was a, essentially a Roman soldier who ruled about 100 uh, soldiers under him. So he was influential. He was powerful. He would have made a lot of money for that. And he had a servant who was sick. And so he came to Jesus because he wanted Jesus to heal his servant. And the people there who knew of this centurion, they actually vouched for him and said to Jesus, He is actually worthy of you healing his servant because they said this centurion, he is the one who built us our synagogue in Capernaum. So he didn't have to do that. He went above and he built a synagogue literally for the worship of God in Capernaum. It says that he, the centurion, they said he loves our nation for he built us a synagogue. Now, if I could just push a little against TV preachers, you can't preach on money without picking on TV preachers. I'm sorry, I have a, it's me, I get it, it's on me. Just deal with your preacher for a minute. But sometimes our friends on television who preach a little bit of the gospel from time to time, they, they have liked to say that this text gives you the capacity to need something in your life like healing or um, your children being saved, and so you give money towards your children being saved, or you give money towards your body being healed. That's not what this scripture is saying. What this scripture is saying, he's worthy because he loves our nation. He proved that he loves our nation because he built a synagogue. But make no mistake, he could have proven he loved the nation in another way. They were just saying he proved it by building a synagogue, but what really matters is that he loves our nation. And when the, the centurion, what it mattered about him loving the nation, it meant that what he loved was what God was doing in a particular land boundary with a particular group of people, and he recognized that, and he loved that, and he supported that, and because of his love for what God was doing, they said, God, will you do something for him? Now, if I could take a side journey, we've all been watching the news. It's horrific and heartbreaking what is happening right now in the nation of Israel. Let me just say emphatically that as a Christian, I stand in full support of the nation of Israel. Why? Why do I stand in support of the nation of Israel when the majority of them don't love Jesus? Because Psalm says that I am, I, as a follower of God, I am to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul said very clearly in the gospel, he said that we are to pray. He said, my prayer is that all of Israel would be saved. There is something in the heart of a Christian that has an indebtedness to the nation whom God gathered and whom God called and whom God gave his law and that law led to Jesus so that by Jesus we the Gentiles could live by faith so that we the Gentiles might have a relationship with God. That came through Jesus who came through the law who came to a nation and that nation went through a whole bunch of stuff to give us Jesus, to give us the grace of God that literally allows us to be saved. So I'm always going to be in their corner. Forever and always, I will always be in their corner. I realize some of you, you're in a, your particular political persuasion, uh, maybe you're more on the liberal side because of economics, or maybe you're more on the liberal side because of government programs or whatever, and so you're, you're on this side of the thing, and on this side of the thing, sometimes there's this, this um, Almost sympathy towards the Palestinian uh, positions. And I'm just saying, I have no sympathy for those positions. When I have to make a choice, I'm always going to choose. I'm always going to choose Israel. Always. Always. And I think we as a church, we as the people of God, must always have a little something in our heart to pray for their peace and to pray for their salvation. Always. Always. All right. So this centurion said he loved their nation and was therefore worthy. But what did he do? How did he demonstrate this? He demonstrated it by going beyond his means and building them a synagogue. We also see this in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. So now we are in the full measure of the church age. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 says that Barnabas, he was a member of the church, Barnabas Sold a field and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas had property that he sold because the church had need and he brought the all of it, not 10% of it, he brought all of it and laid the whole of it at the feet of the apostles for them to distribute. We see that distribution back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 where it says all the believers, not a few of them, not 10 or 12, all the believers were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions and goods they shared with anyone who was in need. That was beyond their means. They went beyond and sold their stuff and with the money from the stuff that they sold, they distributed it to all the members of the church so that there was no needy person in the church. How did that happen? Because people decided to go above. People decided to go beyond their means and do something significant in a moment. Now, the church didn't live like that throughout the entirety of the book of Acts, but they did it then. There were moments where we see this extreme generosity in the church where they did certain things above their means for the purpose of accomplishing a mission or a vision. They did this in the Old Testament. They did this in the New Testament. Jesus said it like this in uh, Luke chapter 21 and verse 3. There was everybody coming together, and they were all giving their money in the temple. Keep in mind, they weren't giving the money to Jesus. They were giving the money to the temple. Jesus was just watching the offering. Sometimes people think, well, he, that was his. No, no, he was just watching the offering that day. And he said that there was a poor widow who gave more than everyone else who gave that day. And he said, for they, out of their abundance, gave their contribution, but she, out of her poverty, has given all that she had to live on. So she had like nothing left but a mite And she came and brought that and gave that gift to the temple. And Jesus said, even though you gave a whole lot in quantity more than she gave, she gave by a greater sacrifice. She went beyond. So throughout the gospel, we see giving according to the tithe. We see giving that goes beyond. Sometimes you will get liberal scholars on the New Testament side of things and they will see well just these they will say just these few mentions of tithing they don't make it a command what is what is more relevant in the new testament is sharing with this person or helping that person if we want to get really if we want to see what's mentioned even more it's the person that gives everything and i don't hear any of them any of them suggesting that we should just sell everything and give everything away and here's the thing god didn't tell us to do that either but there were those moments that they did give everything in a moment to go above and beyond their means. We, we see this, this um, I'll give you one last one. We see this moment with Zacchaeus, he, he sees Jesus. Jesus sees him in a tree. He says, come on down, I'm gonna go to your house. So Jesus goes to his house. And just Jesus being in his presence, the man says, you know what, Jesus, I'm gonna take half of everything that I have and I'm gonna give it away to the poor. And then the other half that I'm left with, whoever I have cheated, if I have cheated someone to get this gain. I love the if there. If, just in case I cheated somebody, I'm going to give them four times what I took from them. Now, we'll just use hypothetical numbers. Let's say he was worth $200,000. Half of it would go to the poor. $100,000 goes to the poor. He's left with $100,000. What if he cheated $20,000 worth of Stuff that he took from people, four times that, $80,000. He's now given away $180,000. He's left with 20. That is going way beyond his means and he's giving beyond it, right? So we see in the gospel the lifestyle of the tithe, which has a blessing. We also see the moments where they give beyond the tithe and they go beyond their means. Now, here's what I wanna say. Do you have to do any of it? Do you have to? Because Paul says, he gives words here. He says, I didn't command this, yet they did it. They they weren't told to. They just begged to be a part. Do we have to do these things? Um, The answer is we don't have to. And, And let me just, let me put some context to that. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's talk about the the Ten Commandments. Jesus said everything is summed up in these two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two commandments sum up all 613 which flowed from an original ten. If we look at sort of the makeup of the original ten, there were eight of those that were do-nots. So they were commands to not do something. Then there were two that were commands to do something. So if you do something that you're told not to do, that is what we will call a sin of commission. In other words, I was told to not do it, but I did it anyhow. Don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't have any other gods before Jesus, don't make any idols. Like we're told these are the things to to not do. Don't bear the name of the Lord in vain. Don't do that. If I do that, I have done a sin of commission. I have done this. But then he says that we are to remember the Sabbath. So that's something I'm told to do. And he says you are to honor your father and your mother. That is something that I'm told to do. If I don't honor the Sabbath, that would be a sin of omission. If I don't honor my father and my mother, that is a sin of omission. Now what's interesting here is, Paul later tells us that the command to honor your father and your mother is the first one with a promise. So when we look at these omissions, there is the potential lack of a blessing. If I don't honor my father and my mother, what happens is I'm not given the promise of long, a long, satisfying life. I'm not, that's not my promise. I can't stand on a promise for a long and satisfying life if I don't honor my father and my mother. Now, if I can take this and bring this into the New Testament and do a little bit of gospel gymnastics, we can kind of put it together this way. In James chapter four, In verse 17. He said, for the one who knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if I know to do something, it's a good thing to do, but I don't do it, it's sin. But let's make sure we understand the classification of this sin because we see in 1 John chapter 5, in verse 17, it says, any wrongdoing is sin, but not every sin leads to death. So it's all sin. And sometimes we, we like to, in Christian conversations, we're like, well, I mean, it's all sin, sin is sin. That's actually not true. Yes, it's all sin, But not every sin leads to death. He says of sexual sins. All other sins are outside the body. But this is a sin that is against the body. So there are designations to sin. There are sins that are committed unrighteousness that in the continual act of unrighteousness, you will be judged and you will go to hell. Why? Because you kept doing the thing that God said don't do. But am I going to go to hell because I don't come to church every Sunday? No, but there is a blessing that is on me in the space of the gathering that I will not qualify for and I will not receive because I didn't gather with the saints. There also is a promise. So now let's put this in the context of giving because I said you don't have to give. Let's put this in the context of giving. He says to give, it's a good thing that I know to do, but what if I don't do it? Am I going to hell? No, you're not going to hell, but you're not going to have a blessing. So it's, is there a consequence? Absolutely. Am I going to hell? No, I'm not going to hell because I don't give. But there's a blessing that is promised on the gift. And so now if I could just blister through the blessing that is on the gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, he started, we started here in chapter 8. He talks about this for two chapters. So now we get to chapter 9 and verse 7. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. You should not give because you think I'm manipulating you to give. That's not, that is compulsion, I'm not here to put you under compulsion to force you to do something. But I would be wrong as a preacher of the gospel to never communicate the vehicle for which we see in the gospel to bring blessing upon his people. So if I've erred in any way, it is not talking enough about something that gives you the opportunity to participate and therefore now there's a blessing on you that in the absence of the preaching of the fullness of the gospel, you wouldn't have had that blessing. So so I do have to work on that. But I don't want you to give under compulsion. But also, he says, don't give reluctantly. You, You have to come to a place where you just believe this. And when you believe it, you decide in your heart and you give accordingly. Why? Because he said, God loves a cheerful giver. And then he goes on and he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, may abound in every good work. He's not just able to make it abound, but he makes grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times. There is the promise of fullness. There is the promise of blessing upon the giver, upon the one who says, I will participate with a wealth of generosity and therefore I will be what? Blessed. There is a blessing upon the giver. It is without dispute. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Now, he's talking about a church. He's bragging about a church from Macedonia. The church in Macedonia that he's bragging about, I love because we received a letter that was given to them. So we know exactly how this whole thing played out. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 15, the apostle Paul says to them, when I left Macedonia, no church partnered with me in giving and receiving except for you only. The church of the Philippians, they were the only church in Macedonia. So we know who he's talking about to the Corinthians, the Philippian church in Macedonia. He said, no one partner with me except for you only. And then he goes on in verse 17 and says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now (laughs) he's saying, look, I don't need something from you. But I need you to enable me to bring the gospel to another community so that in that community, the gospel will save the lost, will heal the sick, will baptize the one in the Holy Spirit. And this, this actual increase is to your credit. See, like every time, Johnny, right now, Pastor Johnny on this front row, when he's preaching in Kids Zone, he doesn't actually get the credit for that. You do. Why? Because you enable it to happen. I don't get the credit for my preaching on this platform. You do. Why? Because you enable this to happen. It is your giving that enables the gospel to be preached in further spaces. They're preaching to the middle school right now in another building. You know who's enabling that? You are. Who gets credit? You do. God gets the glory and you get the credit because of what you give. So Paul says, I'm not doing this for a gift. I'm doing this so that there is an increase in the gospel and the credit goes to you. He goes on. He says, I am, I received the full payment and more. He's writing the Philippians. Remember, it said that they gave according to their means and beyond their means. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now that's all about the gift. But then he goes on. He says, and my God will supply every need Of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because they gave according to their means and beyond their means, they stepped into a place of blessing where, according to the riches of heaven, every single need of theirs would be supplied. Every single So here we are, Uh, we're in the middle of a moment where we are being asked to give beyond, to do more than what we normally do. And to designate that to all of the projects that will happen under the banner of just for everyone. Tonight we have what's called Advanced Commitment Night. That is for everybody who you have your, you've got your number ready and you've filled out your card And You want to come tonight and go hang out in the Joy Center for one last time, and you want to bring your commitment card tonight and tell the church what you plan on doing. When I say tell the church, I don't mean you're going to stand up and tell everybody. I mean you're going to put it in a box that nobody's going to see that your church leaders will count later. That's what I mean by that. Let me just take you through my journey, Uh, because the last time that my family participated in one of these, it was like 13 years ago. Um, I was in my 30s. My kids were, oof. Six, four, two, and one was in the womb. Um, Economics were kind of a mess. The nation was crawling out of the Great Recession at the time. There was a lot of geopolitical uncertainty. Osama bin Laden was still out there. Uh, There was a lot of nerves around terrorism, and it was just an uncertain time. But I remember having just this Man, just a pocket full of dreams and vision for my family. And I'm going to be honest. At that time, my gift, I think looking back, I think it was more about me. And that's fine because God honored that. But it was like, I'm going to do this and I'm doing it expecting you to do all these things. And you may be in one of those seasons and I'm telling you, God will answer you. God God will meet you. But I find myself today in a different season. I find myself today in a place where I just... Give me, if I could, just be a fool for a minute. Could I be... Paul said, could I just be a fool for a minute? I just want to testify to the goodness of God for just a minute. Because I can look back, and over the last 13 years, I I just... I can't wrap my head around the goodness of God. Like, that my kids are healthy... That they love Jesus? I mean, I, I went into my 19-year-old's bedroom. I don't know if you know how 19-year-olds are, but I went into my 19-year-old's bedroom. And uh, on his board of things that he's doing and wanting to get done, he, he had his, his just-for-everyone goal on that board. And I'm like, Jesus, you are so good. I'm in the car, my 13-year-old, she doesn't even have a job. She says, "Dad, are we all going to have our own uh, commitment for the just for everyone? You don't, you don't have a job, <laughs> but just that they're thinking about what God is doing in their church, and they want to be a part of it. I, I just, I it made me want to do more, so I had a number." And my number was a good number. I won't say it's comfortable because nothing's comfortable when you're giving, but I could do it. And then I just began feeling a little nudge to the next level on the, on the board. You know, we had that, that board of all those dumb numbers. <laughs> and mine was right there. And then there was just this leaning towards the one above it. And last weekend, my wife and I committed to that number. And since then, I've been in a bad mood. (laughs) I've been in a bad mood. Because I'm like, I don't know. I mean, this is, it's a lot. And how are we? And one of the kids sounded a little bit not too grateful the other day at the table at dinner. And I go into this huge, long diatribe about why we're going to be a grateful family. And I'm telling you, right? I mean, it's just this long thing. Why? Because there was a little bit of pressure. There's a little, like, am I going to be able to do this? But there's something that is far greater right now. And it is what we will see God do among us. And there is a desire to be a part of that. And I'll pray through the nerves. I'll pray through the grouchiness, I'll get on the other side of it. And when I do, there will be a cheerfulness that I bring my little card and I drop it in the box tonight with a cheerfulness where I can't wait to see what God is going to do. I'm not just talking about my life, I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about this church's life. I'm talking about all the people that we are going to reach. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ask or think. And when we participate, does he say my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus that's the promise and that's what I am committing to be a part of